Okay. All right, well, we'll start our Sunday school and let me uh, open us in prayer. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do worship you this day and proclaim uh, your holy name. And uh, we bask in your glory um, as we see you reflected through the glory of a beautiful spring morning. But we know that's just a pale reflection of the one who uh, created the beauties of this earth. Lord God, we thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us, not just through creation, but through your spirit uh, speaking through uh, your prophets and the apostles, that you have um, shown yourself to us through them. And most of all, how you've shown yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life, um, teaching your word, and then gave that life for us uh, in sacrifice for our sins. But you raised him to new life, and we have hope of uh, a resurrected life through him. Lord God, we thank you for the way your spirit uh, still still takes your word and communicates it to us uh, this day, that it's your spirit that guides us into all truth. And so that's our prayer this morning, that your spirit would be our guide, would shape our conversation, would bring to mind thoughts uh, that uh, arise from your revealed word, and that it would uh, illuminate uh, our hearts and minds uh, in our love and devotion and service to Jesus Christ. Uh, may that spirit uh, teach us about its own work as we see it unfold in the Acts of the Apostles, as we see your church spread, that we might see that spread as the result of the spirit's wonder-working power, um, taking the gospel to, to new places and to, uh, to new peoples, that it's your spirit that uh, bridges these barriers that men erect uh, between one another. Uh, Almighty God, we ask that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, that we might uh, know you more and more, that we would grow in grace and understanding of your good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we would, uh, by your spirit, await an expectant hope for his coming glory. And we ask all these things in the name of our almighty God. Amen. All right, so last week in our study of the Holy Spirit, we focused on that epical moment on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit made its dramatic appearance among Christ's disciples. As we had seen in prior weeks, the Spirit had done quite a bit of work um, prior to Pentecost. But uh, the Spirit, uh, the Scripture had also prepared us to expect the Holy Spirit to do more. Um, that this promise that the Holy Spirit uh, would be given after Christ's departure. And so we see um, the Spirit's uh, work much more visibly um, post-Pentecost. 
In his Pentecost sermon, Peter explains the events of that day through the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The amazing ability to speak in other tongues uh, that we saw last week tangibly manifested the spirit's empowering presence and enabled the apostles' dramatic proclamation concerning the crucified and risen Christ. Pentecost uh, was uh, a transition moment. It publicly marked the transition from the old to the new covenant and signified the commencement of the now of this new day of salvation. It's the threshold of the last days and inaugurates the new era of Christ's church. We've passed from one epoch to another. As one scholar described the day, Pentecost was climatic perforation of human history by the divine, a unique transition from the era of preparation to the era of fulfillment. So everything that we study henceforth uh, in the remaining weeks of our class result from this explosive appearance of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Um, Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And to today, we'll see the continuation of the Spirit's work in that prophesied growth of the church as different groups of people encounter the gospel for the first time. As a celebration of a Jewish holiday in Jerusalem, the day of Pentecost describes the entry of Jews from many nations into the church. But the question remains, can God's spirit fall upon and fill Samaritans, Gentiles? How are these groups of people connected to the single Pentecostal moment when the spirit took its residence in the church by filling the hearts of individual believers? So that's going to be our, um, our kind of guiding question today as we look and see how Acts describes the spread of the gospel um, beyond Judea and to see the Spirit's role in that spread. So um, to start, let's turn to Acts chapter 8. And what we see in chap Acts chapter 8 is um, this persecution of the church begun by Saul at the beginning of chapter 8, which leads to a dispersal of the disciples, um, which leads to the spread of the gospel um, as they go out from Jerusalem and Judea, and um, Philip comes and brings the gospel to Samaria. So let me read for us. Uh, I'll start in um, verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame or healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city 
and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they had paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For it had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. So um, normally, as we'll see in other New Testament passages, the Spirit fills believers at the moment of regeneration when they confess Jesus as their Savior and Lord. So uh, why this time gap between the Samaritans' initial hearing of the gospel from Philip and their subsequent baptism and their later receiving of the Holy Spirit um, once uh, Peter and John arrive. Um, how do we understand this gap, this time lag? Yeah, John. Okay, well, there's prayer because um, clearly um, the, the, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So clearly when Peter and John arrive on the scene, there's something um, lacking um, in this uh, response to Philip's preaching of the gospel. So they, you know, when somebody prays for something, it's usually because they perceive a need. And as they come, they see that there's a clear need um, in this, you know, new community. And notice, you know, they're coming because they've heard, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. So, you know, a threshold has, has been crossed. The gospel has now, you know, kind of broken out um, beyond the barriers of, of Jerusalem and Judea, um, you know, like Jay mentioned Ebola um, earlier, and sort of, you know, to sort of think of it, how um, the 
you know, people who study outbreaks of infectious disease, will, you know, they try to keep it contained. <laughs> and then, you know, it'll break out, you know, spread to a new place. And almost like in a similar kind of sense, the, the gospel, the contagion of the gospel is spreading. And it's now, it's crossing the bounds of the Judean border into Samaria. And that is so significant that apostles have to come from Jerusalem to see this thing. And when they show up, they, you're absolutely right, they pray. And they pray, I think, because you know something's not yet right in the Samaritan community. Yeah, you've moved from one system of magic to another. <laughs> um, and notice how similar the language is. Um, so in verse 6, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. And then um, when it comes down to talk about Simon, uh, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, the exact same language that was used to Philip, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So yeah, there might be... Um, it might be just that they're responding to the presence of, of miracles and, you know, the Simon did great things, but now here's somebody greater, and even Simon recognizes that this is a power beyond his own power. Um, so, so one way to read the passage is that, yeah, they, it, they're treating Christianity and this Christian message as just another kind of, of magical power. Um, that uh, just as they, they held and, and were enthralled by, by what Simon could do, now something better has come, you know, but it's, it's still kind of in the realm of, of magic. Yeah. Yeah, Frank. Yeah, it's not, that, and again, it's almost the way that they're flocking to see the miracles and the signs, and they're not getting the heart of the, the message, um, you know, which we saw in Peter's sermon last week, you know, that he's talking about, you know, all this, the signs and, you know, this loud noise that's brought this crowd, you know why it's here? It's because of this Christ who you crucified and God raised up from the dead. Um, all according to his plan. And, you know, and this had been the plan throughout the scriptures. So, you know, they, the, um, the manifestation of the spirit drew a crowd, but it's belief in Jesus Christ um, that's required to re be real recipients of the spirit. And so you can be drawn to, um, to, to the, um, 
preaching of the gospel for other reasons than the truth of that message. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, that's a neat trick. I'll pay you to teach me, <laughs> you know, and it is that kind of that. Um, and, and Simon, um, uh, yeah, again, you get discussions of whether Simon's response is typical of the Samaritans as a whole or if Simon's kind of the outlier in the response that clearly he hasn't, you know, even though he's um, heard the message and, and, and stepped forward to be baptized, he still doesn't get what the, the message is about. And as Peter um, talks to him clearly Peter saying brother there's something you've got to repent <laughs> um, this is not something that that that's bought with money um, you know this is something you, know, you receive <laughs> um, by the gift of God yes sir um, I think what um, it, the role of the spirit is um, is absolutely necessary to salvation. <laughs> I mean, I, and, and, and what makes Pentecost um, unique is that you had people who believed in Christ but had not yet been filled with the Spirit because they, you know, they believed in Christ because they had access to the real physical Christ. They listened to his teachings. They heard, and the Spirit worked in them, but they hadn't yet been filled with the power of the Spirit. Um, what I want to say, um, subsequent to that act, is that henceforth, um, where, where people believe in Christ, the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit's power. That these two things that in the disciples' experience were kept separate, um, that subsequent, you know, are brought together. Um, that, um, you know, because they're, they're the ones stepping across that threshold. You know, they are in the old covenant, <laughs> and then they experience the new. It's like somebody who's, you know, goes through a change of, of rules. Like they've been living under one set of rules, and then the rules change, and now they're living in another set. Whereas people subsequently, will, you know, they'll be initiated into the new set of rules. It's like when we have a curriculum change at the college. You know, there's always going to be this class that's kind of straddled between the old one and the new. Um, yeah, after Pentecost, and it's, and what we're seeing um, in each of these moments, so they're, they're, hmm? yeah, he said he believed, and, and this is where, um, you know, um, Pentecostals want to say there's kind of a two-step that, and they want to separate being filled with the power of the Spirit from belief in Christ. Um, I want to say um, that these two things are linked. And I think here we see that whatever their belief is, and Simon's belief, is clearly insufficient. Um, that there's something lacking in his belief. And, and that's what Peter um, seems to be coming and to the point he, be, he seems to be coming to in his conversation with Simon. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. 
Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So, whereas for the rest of the Samaritans, um, uh, they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, it's, it seems to be that um, that's the moment in which they're really, you know, it's from where they're going from mere assent to words to true belief. Um, again, you, you make the, I can assent to lots of things that are true, but, but not really believe them. Um, sort of like Matthew preached last week that, or, or mentioned in the sermon, how there are lots of people who know all kinds of truths about the scripture, and probably a lot more than I do, but they don't believe them. Like, you know, okay, they can assent that this is what Jesus said, um, but they don't believe um, and because they don't have the spirit. I mean, I, I want to say they're, they're, they're like two sides of a penny. <laughs> um, uh, Dr. Kelly used to say faith and repentance are like in, ir, inseparable. Like you can't, just like you can't imagine, uh, you know, a, a penny that just has heads. <laughs> Like, a penny always has two sides, and they're always, like, linked together. Um, faith and repentance are like that. And I would say that um, belief in Jesus Christ, saving belief in Jesus Christ, is always linked with the Spirit's presence. Because, um, I mean, again, we don't have access to Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit. You know, how can I, you know, because he's, he's not here physically, but he's here, you know, the the scriptures tell us he's here. How is he here? By the Spirit. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. Um, it proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, again, that's, uh, you know, we kind of throw that little and, like, it, it doesn't really matter much, but it matters a lot. <laughs> because we have access to Christ through the Spirit, and that's our access um, to God. Um, so it's through the Spirit that we have um, saving belief in Jesus Christ. So, I mean, yeah, it, you can't separate the two. Yeah, I think that is the storyline, that it's this kind of mechanistic approach to what the, what the power of the Holy Spirit is, that you go through these things, you get the Holy Spirit, rather than, you know, again, the way Peter, what does Peter address? He addresses his heart. You know, it's a matter of your heart repenting and, and believing. Um, it's not a matter of, you know, what what school of magic you've been instructed in and gone through the process and now you can do it. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's... it's yeah. 
Yes, and I, I, I think you're absolutely right. That that's, uh, again, as we see the gospel spread, this is a reminder that just because they assent and are baptized, you know, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, that makes them believers. It's not their assent with their lips. Um, it's the presence of the Spirit um, that's the instrumental um, aspect in their salvation. Um, and, and really, what I want to truly emphasize from this passage is that we see the Holy Spirit do dramatic things in the book of Acts every time we see the gospel go to a new people. So here, you know, this is the first time, again, um, this moment where the gospel goes out of Judea into Samaria, and boom, there we see the Spirit doing something visible and dramatic. Um, and just as, you know, think of that um, key verse that outlines the book of Acts. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know, that it's, you know we're going to see this gospel sort of spreading <laughs> in these brings to these different segments of the population. And the population has, has Jews, it has Samaritans, it has God-fearing Gentiles who've associated themselves with Judaism but haven't yet undergone circumcision and, and converted, and then it's just got straight pagan Gentiles. And one of the things we see is in the book of Acts is how the, the gospel goes to each of these groups of people, and each time it, it breaks forth into one of those particular groups, we see this emphasis on they too receive the power of the Spirit. I mean, again, it's sort of the how do we know that these people who were once outsiders are now part of the Christian community because they received the Holy Spirit? Um, you know, as Luke works through the Acts of the Apostles, the presence of the Holy Spirit is what makes these, again, former outsiders, people formerly despised, you know, because they're Samaritans or because they're Gentiles, you know, now are to receive full acceptance because they've received the Spirit. And maybe the next passage well, will help make this, this um, even clearer. So flip over a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 10. Um, so this is a, a really long um, um, passage. So I'm just going to um, kind of selectively read until we get to the, to the real part. Um, so it introduces, chapter 10 introduces us to this man. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So he would be what we would classify as a God-fearing Gentile. So this class of, of God-fearers. Um, so um, so uh, Cornelius receives a vision from God to seek out Peter. At the same time, um, Peter's receiving a vision saying it's okay to go to the household of Cornelius. Um, so in verse 34, we get um, Peter um, proclaiming the gospel in the household of Cornelius. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. 
As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked, then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven, by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And they heard these things, they fell, when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. All right, so long passage, but um, what, what is the Spirit's role in this passage? What, what do we notice about how the Holy Spirit is working? Or maybe another way to think about it is why are, the, are these disciples... Um, 
with Peter so surprised um, that the household of Cornelius um, receives the Holy Spirit. They've seen it before. <laughs> why Why are they so, wait, the Holy Spirit is falling on these people. It's like they're acting like this is crazy. Um, yeah, so here we have people who are uncircumcised, who eat unclean food, and yet the Holy Spirit can come upon them as well. And it is this, you know. yeah, they're not of the chosen tribe, and yet they're chosen, <laughs> you know, and that's, again, notice how we're, we're breaking across another kind of threshold in the spread of the gospel. Now we've kind of, you know, the Samaritans, yeah, they're not Jews, they're despised, but they're related, <laughs> you know, they're like the, the, the cousin, <laughs> um, you know, they're not full believing Jews, but, you know, they're circumcised, they hold to the wall, um, you know, we, we look down on them, but, yeah, the Samaritans were related, <laughs> you know, that kind of idea. But now we're, we're, we're breaking forth into, you know, uh, a Roman centurion, <laughs> um, you know, and not only is this guy not circumcised, but, you know, he's with them, <laughs> um, yeah, and and yet, you know, he they they know he believes God and or you know, and he, he does good works and so they kinda know, all right, he's he's better than your average Gentile, but um he's still kinda one of them, you know. Um and you know, as a sign that these people too are worthy recipients of the gospel that they too are among the chosen, you know, how is that, you know, inclusion manifested? It's manifested by the Holy Spirit filling them um, and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying just, and I love the language that, you know, that Peter uses twice, just as, just as we did, <laughs> just as happened to us, the same things that happened to us is happening to them. You know, so it's this moment of authentication. You know, it's the spirit stamp that, yes, these people, too, um, are worthy recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice, again, that their response comes to hearing this message proclaimed by Peter. He gives them the sermon. And what's the center point of the sermon? Who Jesus is. Christ crucified, Christ raised from the dead. Repent and believe in him. What else would we say about um, the Spirit's work here? Or what else strikes you about the story? Yeah, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> the Spirit has to do a lot of work here. And notice how the Spirit is guiding Cornelius to Peter, you know, and, and Peter to Cornelius, you know, the Spirit is at work bringing these two people together. <laughs> You know, the spirit has to work to, to break down these barriers. <laughs> um, and Peter has to be convinced, you know, and I love that three times. <laughs> What's it with Peter and you know, having to be told things three times? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it, whatever you did, it's like, you know, my mom and me growing up, you know, <laughs> whatever she told me, she'd have to tell three times. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it now. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, uh, my mother would, uh, um, uh, yeah, she would understand the Peter experience <laughs> from having uh, me as a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that spirit has to do this kind of preparatory work to sort of, you know, uh, from both directions to, you know, to, to, to bring Cornelius to, to Peter and, and Peter to, to Cornelius, to, you know, to enter his household, to eat with these unclean people. Um, and, and yet the spirit is made manifest. And then... You know, notice that, you know, this, this leads to further discussion in the church. This is such a, a, you know, again, groundbreaking moment that, you know, we, let's, we got a conference about this. What just happened? Um, you know, both with, with Peter and the disciples that were with him who witnessed it, and then Peter and those disciples with um, Christians in other parts of, of Judea and Jerusalem. You know, wait. We just heard that the Holy Spirit fell upon Gentiles. Is, is this right? Can this happen? We heard you ate with uncircumcised, uh, ate unclean food with uncircumcised people, people. What's going on here? And how does Peter justify that? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> Um, no, I think you're right, that the circumcision party, as we see kind of emerge later on, um, is that party that still sort of wants to hold on to, in order to be a Christian, you have to follow these Jewish practices. And that's a party that emerges. Here, um, at this moment, um, I don't think that party exists yet. Here, it's, it's can Gentiles be Christians at all? <laughs> yeah, this is... You know, so before we can have that party within the church, you know, you have to have Gentiles <laughs> in the church. And so, um, so we're, we're not yet to the stage of where that party exists because we're just now at the stage that, um, you know, can Gentiles be members of the church? And then that party emerges over the discussion over well, what, Gentile, what do Gentiles have to be, do to be Christians? Like, all right, they're in, but do they have to behave like Jews in order to be Christians? And that becomes the, you know, the point of discussion in those Pauline epistles. But here, you know, it's, it's can they even be in, you know? And, and the message that's coming through clear in Acts is, and, and Paul, or, or Peter says that, you know, that um, he uses those words that... Um, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So, you know, anybody can become a part of this Christian community if they believe in Christ um, and receive the Holy Spirit. So it, it does away with the distinction as we see Paul, you know, in Christ, there is no more Jew or Gentile. Um, and that's what we're seeing, that these barriers that existed um, prior to the creation of the church are coming down. Um, uh, Paul, in his uh, first letter to the Corinthians, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So it's the spirit is the bond of union uh, in the church that, that does away with these distinctions that had existed before and the distinctions in the world, that it's the, the, the you know, that the same spirit inhabits all believers, no matter what distinctions we might place upon them. And that's, you know, at this moment, that's earth shattering news. Other things you wanna say about, um, Um, yeah, so, yeah um, I think when we, we hear later, so verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Um, so it's, um, you know, these people have, right, you know, they, and maybe the next passage. So they've heard aspects of the word, but they don't haven't heard all of it. Um, you know, they they know enough that this God of Israel is the God, um, but they do not yet know about who Christ is and what He's done. And it's when they hear that message, you know, that's when they, you know, become believers and members of the church, and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It's sort of like, you know, you've got to draw near enough to, to hear the message. Um, and then, you know, you hear the message. And so, again, it's the, the way the Spirit is, is bringing people um, to hear this, this gospel. Um, and then, you know, then they're hearing and believing and responding in the Spirit. You know, it's not the Spirit, you know, notice the Spirit is not telling Cornelius, you know, <laughs> you know the Spirit's, revealing things directly to Cornelius, but it's what's it's not telling him the message Peter's telling him. That you know, the instrument is still through the the public preaching of the gospel, you know, hearing the words preached. The spirit isn't acting independently of 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 people, you know, or it's not making believers independently of the church. Um, and this is again is an important point because you get this um um uh, this use of or rejection 
of, again, the filioque, that the spirit comes through God and Jesus Christ. You know, it proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, and again, we kind of, well, is it okay if it just proceeds from the Father? And, you know, there are people out there who want to make the point, well, if it pr just proceeds from the Father, then that people can come, uh, can be saved without any reference to Jesus Christ. Because, you know, if they have, by the Spirit, they have direct access to God the Father, then there's no need, you know, for all this, you know, death and resurrection stuff. Um, which, uh, again... Um, I mean, I think here in the circumstance, it's, it's emphasizing that, you know, Cornelius and his household aren't, and, and we'll see this in the letters of Paul, that, um, that they're, n they're not um, going, you know, they're already living kind of according to the commandments. <laughs> um, and, but you're, you know, there's something still lacking. Um, and when and way Paul chastises Gentiles often in his letters is that they want to keep living some kind of rebel, you know, oh, I'll, I'll marry my <laughs> father's, you know, my dead father's wife. That's no problem, is it? And he's like, wait, <laughs> no, you can't do that. Um, that there's, you know, that um, faith and repentance go hand in hand. Um, and so here are people that are, you know, just like they've heard the message of, of John, you know, repent, um, but they haven't yet heard the message of Christ. And so they're kind of, yeah, they're kind of halfway there. Um, uh, and maybe this, let's, let's turn to my last passage for the day. We don't have a, a ton of time. Um, this last passage, again, and notice these are all kind of, there's a little strange thing going on, which is why I don't think, any of these passages are necessarily normative. They're all extraordinary moments where the gospel is breaking into new places. Um, so this is Acts chapter 19. So this is Paul now bringing the gospel to Ephesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And, they said, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptism, baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So again, here's another kind of weird passage. You know, he shows up and he's like, uh, yo, so you're disciples. You know, you have the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? <laughs> um, what exactly were you baptized? Oh, John the Baptist baptized us. Oh, it's all clear now. <laughs> that, you know, that. You know, again, the, the emphasis is on the necessity of belief in Jesus Christ to be proper recipients of the Spirit. Um, and not having the Spirit's presence is a sign of deficiency, um, that 
is a sign that they haven't really believed in the message of Jesus Christ. Um, so uh, here again, you know, kind of now the gospel is going into, you know, you know, we've left Palestine, you know, now we're getting into, you know, truly Gentile country. And the spirit, again, visibly manifesting itself as the gospel, you know, kind of rings out. Um, and the point, you know, um, I think Luke is making in Acts is that every time the gospel breaks into a new place and the spread that he describes in, in verse 8 of chapter 1, you know, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and then, you know, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And every time we see the gospel kind of break into a new group of people in the spread, we see that the manifestation of the Spirit's power, the Spirit's presence becomes visible. And the lack of the Spirit's presence is a sign that um, these people haven't really yet believed or heard. Other things or other questions, comments? Uh, I, and I'm trying to, you know, again, I want to emphasize what we're seeing in Acts is extraordinary. You know, it's this um, description with first with Pentecost and then it's these other um, moments. It's these, uh, it's these, you know, kind of record breaking, you know, sort of think the first person to break the four minute mile or something like, you know, you think there's a barrier there and, and now once the barrier has been crossed, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we can do this or that, you know, we can go faster than the speed of sound. Um, you know, it's sort of like, and that's the way, you know, these, these moments and where we see the spirit particularly show up um, in the acts of the apostles and manifest itself with speaking in tongues and um, prophesied are these moments, you know, again, kind of groundbreaking moments in redemptive history. And then what we see, what I would suggest we see in the epistles um, is a description of, of the spirit kind of the normative role of the spirit um, in the Christian church subsequent to these groundbreaking moments. So I'm trying to like lay the groundwork for what we're going to do next week. <laughs> All right. Well, if there are no other further questions, um, let me uh, close this in prayer. Almighty God, we praise you and, and um, glorify you for your gift of the spirit to us, that indeed uh, it's by the Spirit that we can confess that Jesus Christ uh, is Lord, that he sits at your right hand, and that he is the judge of the heavens and the earth, and that we can also confess that he's our Savior, um, to confess our, our belief in uh, who he is and what he's done for us, and uh, by that um, act of faith receive your grace, um, your healing grace that takes away our sin and clothes us in Christ's righteousness. Um, we ask that you would uh, help us um, be a, a witness uh, to the world by the power of the Spirit that we receive uh, when we uh, believe in Christ, that um, we 
don't need to be seeking something further, but we need to grow in the grace that's already given to us, that we need to use the Spirit's presence already uh, among us, that we would grow in these things, um, that you would um, use that power of the Spirit to enable us to be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ and to his gospel. Um, and we pray that your spirit would uh, help us to deepen our worship, um, to deepen our, our faith in you. Even now, in this coming hour, where we'll um, sing and hear your word proclaimed and to unite our voices in prayer. May your spirit um, be uh, manifested in that moment, even as you promised us um, that we would be uh, worshipers um, in spirit and truth. And we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of your spirit. Amen. <laughs>